0: It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different
1: Hey everyone and welcome to the Growth Up podcast brought to you by SaaS marketing agency Advanced B2B. It's Edward Ford here and on the show today we have a very special guest and a slightly different format. So HubSpot co-founder and CEO Brian Halligan was recently in Helsinki for Slush and he stopped by the Advanced B2B office for a fireside talk with some of our customers and the Advanced B2B team. The talk was hosted by my colleague and advanced B2B co-founder, Mick Goseppa, as we drew on Brian's 12 plus years in SaaS and at HubSpot. And in this episode, we hear about a typical week in the life of HubSpot CEO, the five growth chapters of HubSpot and the evolution of B2B marketing and sales, the importance of building a gorgeous end-to-end customer experience and why SaaS is now a platform game, challenges, mistakes and learnings from building HubSpot and things that Brian would do differently now how HubSpot has shifted from funnel thinking to flywheel thinking, and the evolution of marketers and the importance of investing in your people. While there is no fast five challenge this time, Brian does share some of his top book recommendations, so make sure you stay tuned for those. And just a heads up that some of the questions were posed by the audience, so the audio is a little fuzzy there, and you might also hear the footsteps of Gordy, one of our office dogs in the background. So anyway, let's get into it here. Is episode 29 of the Growth Up podcast with Brian Halligan, co founder and CEO at HubSpot.
2: It's my pleasure to introduce Brian Halligan, the CEO and founder of HubSpot, Great to have you here.
0: Great, and, uh, great to be here.
2: There's going to be people from Advanced B2B and some of our customers, aka friends, aka family, joining us in this session. If you guys have any questions, feel free to just throw them up and let's see what what we get from you. No problem. You said to me just moments ago that you you had a sauna last night.
0: I had an interesting first night in Helsinki. (laughs) Uh, First of all, it was very confusing. There was a bar and then there's this area right next to it with the sauna. And I had never seen a bar with a sauna before. (coughs)
2: <coughs> but it's not
0: common in Boston. Not common in Boston, and so I had a couple of drinks and with some friends, we went and I borrowed a bathing suit and I took a very hot sauna, and then I dove into the sea. It was very cold in the sea here. <laughs> very cold, and I thought it was a very bad idea when I did this kind of thing. And then I got out of the sauna and I went to the smoky sauna. You know, you know the smoky sauna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smoky sauna, very hot in there, and. Uh, Back into the sea. Uh, and uh, I've never felt better in my life. I mean, there was something very unusual about that. I felt yeah. just a river. Yes. <laughs> yes, very unusual tradition you all have that's lovely, lovely.
2: Yeah, we are different. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's actually, a nice way of putting I, it. I have a little house in the state in the United States of Vermont. You yeah. know, Vermont? Yeah. yeah. It's a little tiny state near Boston. It's cold and it's kind of dark and it's kind of like Finland. And I just <laughs> I just uh, I just bought the house, and the people who owned it before. There is a sauna, uh, oh, which is very unusual cool. American house. Uh, so I'm going to start the tradition: take the sauna, go out, roll in the snow, and come back in the sauna, and that'll be my thing. I bring a little yeah, yeah. Finland back to the United States. That's cute. I'm good. really excited about it. That's
2: cute. <laughs> so, uh, we've seen HubSpot grow over the past years, and yeah. and we are like super eager to learn what's the average or normal day in the life of Brian Halligan, the CEO of HubSpot. What happens? Oh, God. <laughs> What's going on?
0: <sighs> I think that's one of the nice things about my job. There's not so much of a normal day. Uh, you might be surprised at my week. I, uh, I work from home about half the time. Okay. Uh don't work for free? Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah. a thing here or no? It is. Okay. It is. Yeah, I work from home a lot. I get a lot more done from home. Uh, I'm actually introverted. I pretend to be an extrovert. I, I, when I come here, I shake hands with the dog and everyone. But, but my natural state is that, you know, I'd rather you know, be in my hotel room reading a book. I'm actually quite introverted, and I, you know, I try to be extroverted, uh, but I like to work from home. And I work on all kinds of different stuff these days as part of HubSpot. We're working on our strategy for 2019 and HubSpot we have a cadence to our business and our business kind of revolves around our inbound conference in September So the conference happens from September to December is the best time of the year because we come up with all kinds of interesting and crazy and new ideas for the business and for our customers and then by the end of the, uh, December we knock down our plan for next year here's the products we're gonna build, here's the services we're going to offer, here's the business model changes. And from December until September, our heads are down, just, you know, cranking. And not a lot of crazy new ideas are allowed. And then September we do inbound and start over. So now is the most fun part of the year because we're trying to lock down what are the things we're building next year, what are the new products we're building, what's inbound gonna look like, how's the company gonna look three, four years from now. So now is kind of the most exciting time of the year for me. I bet A lot of meetings about that kind of stuff.
2: He said, please share us what's coming.
0: <laughs> what's coming? <laughs> what's coming
2: next year? Well, I, what are you going to introduce in September?
0: And they can't tell us exactly what we're going to introduce, <laughs> I <know>. but <laughs> I, I, can say, I can say that the trend of HubSpot, there's a couple trends that will certainly continue. If you look at HubSpot and analyze our profit and loss statement, you can see more and more of our money flowing into R&D and product, trying to make the product better in uh, really investing in customer success and net promoter score improvement for our customers uh, Along that side you've seen us move from a marketing application to more of a front office kind of suite, right? Marketing sales service all those will get better down the road There'll be more of these hubs and the suite will expand and so we're working on some of that stuff and down below You know HubSpot. We're trying to turn from kind of a application suite company into more of a platform company so far bigger API footprint, far better support of those APIs, far more integrations, far more third parties building into it. And so HubSpot itself is moving from a company that helps our customers generate leads into a company that helps our customers really create a gorgeous end-to-end customer experience. And we want to do that through HubSpot apps or any other applications you can kind of plug in much more easily. Yeah, that makes sense. I think so. Yeah. It's good to hear. Yes. Yeah.
2: I actually have this one question that came from Sami, I guess. Hi. Uh, one of our customers. Actually the first customer of the company. We didn't even officially have the company when we Love that. got him as a Love customer. It. That's paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Sami has a beautiful question of what are the chapters of HubSpot growth story and how would you define each?
0: Yeah. It's sort of what I just said. Chapter one is, really there's an extra chapter. in Chapter one of HubSpot, when we first started HubSpot, it was really a search engine optimization company. And to do well in SEO, you had to create content. So we created a blog to do that. And then we created a social media tool. So HubSpot chapter one, its first four years, was really, had nothing to do with leads. It was about how do you get a perfect stranger to visit your site? Uh, chapter two was how do you turn that, visitor to your site into a lead. So marketing automation, and workflows, and uh, the lead record, and email, and all that stuff kind of tied together. Uh, Chapter uh, three, which we started a few years ago, was around how do you turn that lead into a customer. And so we built CRM, we built our sales hub product, built tools for sales reps. Chapter four, we just came out with our service hub product. So how do you continue that? The next chapter is much more platform. You know, how do we enable people to really customize the experience, how do we enable people to have 20, 30 different applications they use within HubSpot and just weave them into that experience? How do we have HubSpot be that coordinator of the whole experience? So we're marching along a journey. Uh, and uh, one thing I would say about HubSpot coming here and visiting you all today, it's, it's, re- it's really quite nice uh, for me. Like we started, co- you're a founder, you started a company 12 years ago. And, yeah, we hoped this kind of thing would happen, but we never actually, we didn't have a lot of confidence <laughs> when we started the company this would happen. We had in our head that we would build something like this, but uh, it's really cool for me to come all the way to Finland. Not, you don't go to Finland every day and see all of you wonderful people who actually use our invention. is uh, It warms my heart. So thank you for having me, and thank you for partnering with HubSpot. It's quite nice. Yeah.
2: it's been one hell of a ride seeing HubSpot evolve over the years. I, I think that like the first uh, time for me, like first, having the first touch with the platform was around 2011 or 12, okay. something like that. And uh, just when you, just a few moments ago when you said that it was first like the SEO yes. platform, I could definitely yes. agree on that. So it's been huge shift over the years, yes. right, like going from one niche Like area, and then evolving into a bigger platform of of how you how you make sure that you have and you're able to deliver like proper customer experience. How about how do you see uh, then like sales and marketing evolving? I know that you guys are putting a lot of effort into the service side of things, but how's in general? How what do you think? How's the B2B sales and marketing evolving currently, and what's what's next?
0: Yeah, just back to what you were saying a second ago. Like the internet giveth and the internet taketh away. And the internet change, has changed a lot in 12 years. And it's created opportunities for folks like yourselves to grow your business. And the first opportunity we saw was the internet gave the ability to create leads in a new way, to create content, and pull people in, in a whole new way. And it sort of opened up this big opportunity that HubSpot and all of us kind of walked through. Create content, pull people in from social search, blogosphere, Take advantage of the changes going on. Take advantage of Google. Uh, That's still going on. There's still an opportunity to do that. It's not as easy as it used to be. Uh, Google's changed, and Google used to just give you a list of links, and you click through those links and go someplace else, and you can play the game quite well. More and more, like if you go to the, if you search on HubSpot in Google, Google wants you to stay on their page. Like there's everything you can imagine about HubSpot on that page. It's like a portal into HubSpot. And there's still a lot of opportunity to get found in Google, but it's shifted a lot in how you think about Google's got to shift a lot. Uh, same with the social networks, the organic side of social networks used to be really easy You could pump content through there, gotten more challenging, everyone's closing up. Uh, and so we saw the shift to not just lead gen, the reason we built all this new product is really the opportunity now. The arbitrage opportunity for startups and, and businesses is create a better experience. And I just think about myself in my morning routine, and not this morning, but most mornings, I wake up on a Casper mattress. Do you have Casper here? Or Purple? It's a new mattress company, and it's mattress as a service. They, they mail you a mattress. And then the first thing I do is I put on my Warby Parker glasses. Do you have Warby Parker here? No.
2: We're next to <laughs> Russia. We don't probably have anything. Slash is the only thing <laughs> we have.
0: <laughs> I'll keep going. Maybe it'll resonate. Yeah. After 500 companies, yeah. we
2: will most certainly and find And then oh, yeah, I, wake, so. I
0: wake up, put my thing on, and I want to listen to Grateful Dead, so I put on Spotify. You have Spotify. Yeah. Yes! Okay. And then I like the Grateful Dead, so I'm dancing into the bathroom, and I shave in the morning with the Dollar Shave Club. We wish yeah. we had. Uh, you know what the Dollar Shave Cup is? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and then I put on my outfit is from Trunk Club. you have Trunk Club?
2: We wish we okay, had. This
0: analogy is totally failing. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, I take an Uber to, to work. Yeah, you need to say that the subscription yeah. economy is here. It's, well, it's, it's not just subscription. What I think is interesting about these companies, let's, let's take Warby Parker. Yeah. So Warby Parker, you go to their website, you pick up glasses you like, they mail you five for free You pick the one you like, you pay for it, and mail the other ones back. Uh, Let's take Dollar Shave Club. They mail you a bunch of razors and you buy it by subscription. All of, even Uber, all of these companies, they went into industries that are old, kind of tired, established, and commoditized. And they went and they built these startups. They're all brand new companies, you know, less than 10 years old. They're all growing like a weed. And they didn't win by building a better product. The products are exactly the same, sometimes even worse. They built it by building a better end-to-end customer experience, by taking the friction out of the process um, and really using word of mouth to grow. So I feel like the arbitrage opportunity on the internet moved from, gosh, internet is a great tool for creating leads to, oh, gosh, the internet is a great tool for creating one of these awesome experiences. So that's kind of why we've shifted our model. And I did did forget the actual question you asked. It doesn't matter.
2: You touched basically the point, like, the shift is from being totally, like, acquisition-focused to... Experience-focused, yeah, yes. Experience-focused, yeah, totally. Um, if we think about HubSpot, what what has been the most difficult part in the HubSpot like growth story so far? Like, I know that you you've been talking about, like, those changes early on that you needed to do, like, when focusing on different... By your persona son. Here's what I'd say about oh, what Hotspot, do you
0: think? like from from Finland maybe. Yeah. Hotspot looks like it's just up and to the right, just a rocket ship. Internally it's really not. It's sort of two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. Or it's it's like a sine wave that's up and down to the right. Uh, and it's gone well, but we have made plenty of mistakes. Uh, I think one of the things we're quite good at is not making the same mistake twice. So we're quite good at saying, ah, yeah, we messed that up. Why did we make the decisions we made? What information did we wish we knew before making that decision? Um, and then gathering that data and never making that same mistake twice. We've been quite good at that in creating mechanisms for, uh, for ensuring that we don't do that. And that's helped the business scale quite a bit. We've also not been afraid to change the model in the business a lot. Uh, like moving from a marketing app to this full suite was quite tricky, it took us a few years. Moving from a suite to a platform I think is going to be really tricky. We're right at the beginning of it. Uh, those are tricky, tricky changes. We also moved from a full content marketing uh, company. We generated all our business through content marketing to a freemium model. They were tricky. And so we've been willing to take some risks, make some mistakes, take a couple steps back in order to take three or four steps mm. forward. And uh, that's served us well. I think always wanting to do something bigger, something that Dharmesh and I always like to say, we want to build a company our, our grandkids will be proud of someday, mm. and really uh, striving for the long-term. That's served us quite well. Yeah. What would be- Going public was yeah. a big change. That was yeah, a I tricky bet, one. Yeah, yep. What
2: about expanding to like, Europe, for ex- for instance.
0: Yeah, I've been pleasantly surprised with how this European expansion's gone. Uh, the original model was all U.S., and then we were tr- we made a, We were trying to make a decision: should we go to London or should we go to Dublin? And we went back and forth for about a year on that, and finally picked Dublin. And Dublin's a very interesting economy, and uh, it's becoming a little bit like Silicon Valley of Europe. And and the Dublin economy has done three things, I think, were really smart. One. They have this very aggressive international tax policy. Two, they're in the EU, unlike London at this point, or soon, and they, it's free education for everyone. And so the, the workforce is quite good. Many Silicon Valley companies are in there. They've trained lots of people. And now when we hire, we're hiring from Google and LinkedIn and Salesforce, really good companies. Uh, and so they've done quite well. What I was surprised about yesterday, learning about slush and learning about Helsinki, is there's a little of that going on here. There's a bit of a tech revolution happening. Venture capital seems to be flowing in. The gaming industry here, I didn't understand, was huge. Yeah. Uh, everyone thinks of, of Finland as, oh yeah, it's Nokia. It's much more than Nokia. Uh, and so it feels like it's got the germ of, a, of another hub. And so we've probably got 500 people there we're gonna continue to expand. Dublin, when we went there, was cheap. Yeah, you went there, it was very cheap. It's not cheap anymore. Yeah. The rent is very expensive. The employees are just as expensive as the US. It's totally changed. And now we've gone into uh, uh, Berlin and we've gone into Paris. And largely, we go into those countries and open offices only because we have a heck of a time finding enough German and French speakers to sell and serve and support yeah, in those countries. Yeah.
2: yeah. How is the Berlin office
0: doing? Really well. Yeah, really well. Very happy with it. Yeah. Are, you, are you serviced out of Berlin or out of uh, Dublin? Dublin. OK, interesting. How many people there are currently? 20-something, yeah. 20 not sure. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's growing. Oh, yeah. Opens is right. It'll, it'll double over the next year for sure. Yeah.
2: Just coming up, one, one more question back to the hotspot sure. growth, growth story. Uh, what would be the only thing that you would do differently? Yeah, I, if you founded the company like at the same time, sure. so being in the same kind of space at yeah. the same time.
0: I think many of the things I would do over the... The biggest mistake I made as the founder is... I think companies are largely a reflection, for better or worse, of their CEO. Uh, And HubSpot is that case, and it has a lot of my good qualities and some of my bad qualities. Uh, One reflection of HubSpot is I grew up through uh, sales. I was a salesman, uh, enterprise software salesman. And I know a lot about that, and I'm relatively good at that. And so in the early days of HubSpot, if you looked at how we allocated our budgets, I dumped money into sales and dumped money into marketing, and I starved pro- you know product and service. And so, really, the first five years of HubSpot, we were we we obsessed a relationship between the salesperson and the prospect, and we put all of our energy into there. And in the short term, that really juiced growth. But over the long term, our churn rates were high, our customer happiness rates were low, word of mouth was low. We made a switch probably six years ago to focus, instead of that relationship, but on the relationship between the customer and the product, and really invested in service and partners and product, and that's made a huge difference. Uh, I don't know of any big company at scale that really does it by focusing down here on that prospect uh, relationship. It's more about how do you delight customers and leverage word of mouth. I think in today's day and age, and this is a weird thing coming from a marketing guy, but. People don't, are, people don't trust anything or anyone these days. They certainly don't trust, at least in my country, they don't trust the government. Oftentimes, they don't trust their religious organization. They don't trust big uh, corporations. They don't trust social media sites. They generally don't trust marketers or sellers. And so trust, we're like a trust deficit. And to that end, I think the best way to sell your products is to like your customers, and hopefully your customers will do the selling for you. And so we've sort of been in the process of making that shift inside of HubSpot, and that's made a big difference. So that would probably be the biggest mistake. I wish I had, I wish somebody had hit me across the head and said, you're never going to be a, a, a great company unless you really get serious about delighting, at the end of the day, you got to delight your customers or you're screwed. And so I got religious, religion on that quite late, actually. Yeah.
2: Okay. That was a good one. Uh, guys, girls? Any questions on this one. one? Yeah? Your expansion
1: strategy from the mid companies to the larger ones and, and so forth. Could you describe a little bit of what scale of enterprises you are serving at the moment and what are your targets?
0: Sure. Uh, I would sort of say, like, we've really focused at HubSpot since we started on companies from 20 employees to 200. That's our sweet spot. And I'd give us an A, like if I were giving us a report card on serving companies in that in that part of the market. We're not as good from 2 to 20, and not as good from 20 to 200. I would give us C's in both of those. I think what we're trying to do at HubSpot is get better at those two, try to take those to an A. I don't think we're necessarily going up to Fortune 500, sell to Nokia, and uh, for a lot of reasons. One is there's plenty of competition up there, Oracle and Salesforce, SAP, everyone's really slogging it out up there. Two, it's not where my passion lies. I like to help entrepreneurs and founders and small companies grow. I yeah. just like doing that, um, and um, there's a big opportunity there. But I wouldn't say we're really going to the other price. I feel like we're just trying to improve that two to twenty and the twenty to two hundred. Yes, yes, and that seems to be working. Like I'm looking at the new orders coming in and stuff. We got our first customer who paid a million dollars in September. And there's a bunch more after that. And you know it's this software, this space of customer experience software, marketing software, sales software, it's an important part of any company's business to get this right. And we're kind of the heart of it. And so it makes sense to me that a company with 1,000 employees would be spending millions of dollars on this. I, I don't foresee anyone spending $100 million, per se, but I think it's very valuable, the software we provide. The key isn't just selling the software, though. It's getting it implemented right, getting good partners to help. Uh, that's been really key for us. But yeah, we want to delight those customers 200 to 2,000. And we, we also want to do is grow with them. OK, you're 50 employees, you bought HubSpot, you got venture capital, and you're growing like a weed. We don't want you to abandon us on your way up, is sort of the thing. You know, that's been happening a lot to us, actually, is people will leave us at 1,000 employees. Yes, sir?
1: Um, I guess this question was partially answered already, but. Um what I want to ask was what was the original problem that you started to solve when you came up
0: with the idea of HubSpot? Okay, the, the, the nugget of the idea, there were two nuggets, uh, and it came when Darmesh and I were in business school, and I had half, he had half. Uh, I had done a project in a venture capital firm, and my project was to help their startups think about growth. And so I'd meet the marketers and the salespeople, and they all had the same playbook. They would buy a list and they would uh, cold call they would buy a list and spam people basically, they'd do a big trade show, they'd buy a bunch of advertising, stuff like that. And I just noticed how difficult it was becoming. Like it worked well in the 90s, but boy, it just seemed to be you know, tough. And I was looking at people who had ad blocker and they had spam protection and then they had something called a DVR back then and just harder and harder to get to humans. And Dharmesh, he had blogged his way through business school and every couple days he would write a clever article and he didn't put any money on it. He didn't buy any lists or do any fancy stuff, but he was clever. He grew clever cl- content, and he was clever at SEO, and he was clever at social media. Dig and Reddit were the big social media sites back then, not Facebook and Twitter. And we were just talking about the two, and, and, and I think one day I was just like, oh, we're doing outbound marketing, you're doing inbound marketing. He was like, oh, that's an interesting way to describe it. Uh, so he started talking about inbound marketing and trying to get change people's minds. And, and some of the companies I we were working with were really struggling. And they're like, well, this isn't working. Let's give it a go. And so then we said, well, okay, let's put in a blog and a CMS and SEO tools and social media tools and a CRM system, marketing automation. It got complicated, really complicated, really fast. And you need really sophisticated people for this stuff. Mm-hmm. Sophisticated people that only relatively high end companies could afford or whatever. So we said, how do we take all this sophisticated crap and boil it into something that a mere mortal could use? That's how HubSpot started basically, right there. Now, what's interesting about that is the average marketer back then was, I would call unsophisticated, a Luddite. Uh, really not familiar with how to use technology to really power growth. They were good at PR, they were good at the trade show booth, uh, they were good at brochures, that was the toolkit. And since then, the marketers changed a lot. Uh, marketers are pretty technical and pretty sophisticated right now. And a lot of marketers are quasi-developers. And so we've had to evolve our persona and our technology to keep up with the millennials, because millennials are far more technical than my generation was. So uh, it's been an evolution to keep track of folks like yourself. Who you're probably pretty technical, I'm guessing. Uh, the earrings, excuse I me. Mean. Um, <laughs> and so we've had to continue to evolve our persona over time to keep up with the folks. And there's, there's two interesting companies in the United States that I've watched closely. One is called MailChimp. You guys know MailChimp? There's another one called Constant Contact. Yep. You know Constant Contact? Yep. It, was mail, it was before MailChimp. And Constant Contact, email marketing company, and they were started before us, and we kind of looked up to them. But they had a persona, which was a Luddite, you know, and they started the company in 2000, and they kept solving for that same persona. And the next thing you know, MailChimp came along and solved for a more modern marketer like you guys, a little more technical, know how to use software with it. And boy, MailChimp just disrupted them, really took them out. And now, Constant Contact's really used, the, the, the rap on them is grandmothers use it. And they're, they're, they're font on their font on their telephone support number, they make it bigger and bigger and bigger every year. And MailChimp took away their support number. Uh, and so, one of the challenges has been keeping up with, with millennials and it's amazing to talk to people who use HubSpot and, and the, the difference in sophistication over the 12 years and I, I don't see that slowing down. Yeah. I think the marketer these days, I'm super impressed with the marketer these days. Most marketers I meet really have their act together are super sharp. Yeah,
2: definitely.
0: Yeah. Uh, and also the ops people, like sales ops, service ops, yeah. like inside of HubSpot, we have big marketing team, big sales team, big service team, then we these ops teams. And, Gosh, everyone is very, very, very bright and very technical.
2: I actually love the Mailchimp example that you used. Uh, And it ties back to HubSpot also starting up with the freemium model or introducing freemium model with the sales products and the CRM. Mm -hmm. How has that changed your go-to-market strategy and the approach that you've had?
0: It's changed a lot. Yeah, Yeah. I I bet. And part of it is motivated by watching the the Mailchimp disruption of uh, constant contact, because that was freemium. I mean, we compete with a, a company called Salesforce.com, and it's a very, hard, very good competitor. I mean, it's well-led, well-funded. Uh, it's a really good company, actually. But they're moving up market, the product's getting sophisticated, it's relatively hard and expensive. And so as we look to go into this big market with a big competitor, we said, well, how do we innovate the product so it's simpler and easier? And how do we innovate the go-to-market so it's simpler and easier? Mm-hmm. And freemium was sort of where our heads landed, is how do we match our go-to-market with the way people actually want to buy. And when you disrupt, you want to disrupt on both ends. You want your product to be disruptive and you want your go-to-market to to be disruptive, and it's largely worked. So if you look inside of HubSpot, uh, we generate about 150,000 new leads a month. About half are from content we create, our blog and eBooks and all the content. And about half now is from our free CRM. And we're getting quite good at turning those free CRM into customers and delighted customers. Yeah, so that's the model well. is actually working. It's working you. really well, yeah. Yeah, that's nice.
2: Yeah. Uh, how was the introduction of the sales suite, how was, how, how was it different from the marketing? Because totally different kind of target audience, a uh, little bit different kind of market That actually itself, you know, having all the pro- like CRM products and everything in place already and the market being more mature. How, how was it different uh, going to the market with the the approach that you took?
0: Uh, it went well, it started slow, because the early version of it was this thing called Signals, you probably yeah, remember, which yeah, was definitely. just a feature. Um, yeah. And it took a few years before that turned into a full sales hub and full CRM. There's still work to do on it, uh, a lot of work to do on it, but feeling quite good about it. The, the sales business inside of HubSpots, like if you map it back, the marketing business, how fast it's growing, sales business grew way, way faster. Yeah. So it's like 60, $70 million business growing, 130%, like it is ripping. Uh, and what's been cool about the sales business is half of the sales customers come from marketing customers who said, mm-hmm. let's expand, but half of it came from people who are like, you know, that's the best sales product in the market, I'm gonna buy that first, I don't care about the marketing software. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at people buying HubSpot now, we're a marketing software company by revenue, but if you look at where the customers are coming in and how yeah. the cross-sell's happening, it's as much from marketing to sales as sales yeah, as to marketing now. It's I think in the market, you grew up with HubSpot as a marketing company, so you'll probably always think of us like that. But I think if you ask somebody who discovered HubSpot within the last years, oh, yeah, it's a CRM company. I think people will think of us over the long haul as much more of a customer experience management CRM, whatever people call it, five years. Yeah, actually,
2: we've been working with the CRM for, well, ever since you guys launched. Okay. It's uh, it's been beautiful.
0: Yeah, I'm really happy with the way it's gone, yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you for saying that.
2: Like, you're going to be speaking, uh, was it tomorrow? Yes. In Slush, the startup event. Uh, what would be your advice for new companies or startups?
0: Yeah, it's mostly startups. I have a, a speaking slot uh, at Slush, and i got to figure out what I'm going to say tonight. Uh, <laughs> no sauna tonight.
2: Uh, or, or not at least too many rounds of sauna. Yes.
0: Uh, and somebody's interviewing me, but I think I will talk a lot about how I think the opportunity on the internet has really shifted from lead gen to customer experience and how getting friction out of your process and using word of mouth are the best way to drive business and that the funnel was the old way and this flywheel approach is the new way. And you have that, and it used to be like the winners in the market, my old business school professor used to say, and the only way to win is if your product's 10 times better than the competition. And nowadays like, yes, maybe you're 10 times better today, but if you're 10 times better, people are going to catch up. It's so easy to build products these days, whether it's a software product or a hardware product. Let's say you're building a software product like AWS, open source software, your office at WeWork. Like, it's just so easy to enter and build a product. So any advantage you have on the product side is very quickly lost because people are very good at copying these days. And so I think that shifted from having a, the best product wins to having the best experience wins. And if you have a 10x better experience, you have a much better shot these days of, of beating the competition. And so that's kind of where my head's at, probably what I'll talk about tomorrow. Unless he starts asking me about Facebook and privacy and all that stuff, which I hope he doesn't. <laughs>
2: or oh, European <you're> GDPR. <laughs> yeah,
0: I hope he, yes, yes. Yeah, 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 I hope he doesn't yeah. get into all that, but yeah, yeah. I'll answer whatever he's got. Yeah,
2: great. Uh, do you guys have any questions? I know that we're,
1: yeah, great. I have one question actually about what you just mentioned regarding the flywheel and HubSpot was so big on, on the funnel back in the day and filling it up with leads and then moving people down, but now you actually killed the whole funnel.
0: <laughs> retired. Well, retired. Retired. <laughs> <laughs> so retired.
2: You don't kill to- old people, they're retired.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and now you transition to, to the flywheel. Can you talk about this shift from funnel thinking to flywheel thinking and how you've actually changed internally and how you operate.
0: Yeah, Uh, so inside of HubSpot, uh, we get a management deck once a month of what's going on, and the way we look at the business used to be a funnel, and now everything's in a flywheel. And so, think of it over here as attracting new customers in marketing, and down here is converting new customers in sales, and over here, delighting new customers in service. And when we look at our budget and where's the budget of pride, historically, most of the budget was over here on sales and marketing and less over here. And the more we looked at it, the more we thought, wow, in order to get this thing to really spin, the leverage isn't in marketing or sales. It's over here on the customer side. And so we have shifted our budget and shifted a lot of things over to product and services to try to get more leverage on the part of the flywheel we think spins that turns into new visitors and so forth. The tricky part of the flywheel is measuring that quite tricky. But we know it's there because when I talk to people, we can hear it. That's the first thing we've done. The second thing we look at is how do we get the spin faster? How do we get the friction out? And so we measure things inside of HubSpot like what percentage of our revenue comes in through e-commerce? What percentage of our revenue comes in without ever talking to a sales rep? What percentage of our support calls are self-service versus talking to support? What we're trying to do is enable our customers to do it themselves. We do that for a couple of reasons. It's certainly more profitable than talking to a human. But two, I just feel like in today's day and age, no one wants to wait and book an appointment and then somebody's late for the meeting and you have this go-to meeting where, I think just people want to self-serve and find the darn answer themselves. They want to use the product themselves. They want to try it themselves. We try to match our go-to-market with the way people actually want to buy. And so we've embraced the flywheels, changed the way we measure the business. It's to change the way we invest. It changes the metrics and what we should look at. The management team, for for example, we get our bonus based on revenue and profit and customer happiness. And so we've kind of changed everything around this flywheel idea.
2: Yeah, sounds like a quite, actually quite, quite dramatic change. Yeah, it's term- been useful, yeah. it's been useful. Has there been any like organizational changes the way you structure the teams or?
0: Yeah, growth we're
2: teams around the new products
0: or? trying to get a lot more alignment across the different teams between marketing and sales and service. We built a growth team. And so this is the trickiest organizational team. It sits in product and it's a large team, but it really incorporates marketing and sales and service, all of it. And it basically is the team that figures out how do we pull in a lead for CRM? How do we enable that free CRM user? How do they invite other people? How do they upgrade to the starter product? Like that whole motion—that's a giant team inside of HubSpot that takes a tremendous amount of coordination across all the different departments. That's a big work change. That's been very tricky, actually. Yeah. Not completely baked. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Any other questions? Just those. I mean, one
0: yeah. Yes, sir. Can we talked about video a little bit. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so
2: it's quite obvious that video is embedding the whole internet. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn brought the native videos and every third post at least is a video. Yep. Can you shed some light on your plans regarding video, marketing side, sales side?
0: Uh, yeah, I think I think videos, I think everything's shifting. It's sort of email to chat, uh, text to video. Uh, in Google, it was very much a long tail to fat head game. Like everyone's, everything seems to be changing at the same time. Uh, but video. We we embedded the Vidyard video system inside of HubSpot at inbound. It's it's a video is part of the whole Pro uh, suite inside of HubSpot, and it. I think it's the feedback's been really good so far. That people can use it in marketing uh, very easily uh, to create a video inside your website, create a video inside of your marketing emails, and you can track the engagement on it and all that kind of stuff is inside of HubSpot. Now we embedded it inside of sales and service, so on a one-on-one basis. You know, you can very quickly spin up a video and explain something and send it one-on-one to someone. So our sales reps are using it, our service reps are using it. And so we've made a pretty big investment in a huge partnership with this company, Vidyard. And so far, people seem to be liking it. If, if you're thinking otherwise, I'd love to, love to hear on that. But uh, yeah. we're going to continue to invest in it. Uh, we think it's a big opportunity. I just think humans don't want to read anymore. I mean, we're lazy as a species. Uh, and, uh, They just don't want to read. They want to watch video. They want to watch audio. And um, it's gravity. I don't think it changes much. Like my kid, I wonder if if he will ever read when he's my age. I wonder. Yeah, just maybe the subtitles. Yeah, maybe. Uh, It turns out, like on our sites, we A B test text versus video. And it's about when we have both and we optimize both and get them both really like a really perfect page with both. 80% Eighty percent of the people prefer the video to the uh, to the written, um, and I think as time goes on, that gets even more exacerbated. So, th- we've invested a lot. We'll invest more, and if you have ideas, we're totally open to it. Um, I also just think the social networks are all video networks now. Really, you think yeah. Instagram's now a video network, and yeah, Facebook's not. a video network, and Snap's a video network. Uh, it's just the way the world's going. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One, if people are lazy. And two, the networks can finally handle it. You know, historically, you had crappy experience, pretty good now. And you can stick ads in there, I'm not a big fan of that, but you can.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Any other beautiful questions? Yeah, I have a question about um, growth when
0: it comes to like company culture.
1: So what are some ways that HubSpot um, supports employee learning and development?
0: A couple things. Uh, we do tuition reimbursement up to $5,000 a year. So if you're a HubSpot employee, you can go back to school, you can take courses, you can do whatever you want. We've got a free book program, like any Business book you want to buy, we pay for it, basically. You just send us the uh, Amazon link. Uh, we invest a lot in training our employees. So when you start at HubSpot, you, you, before you do anything, you're two months in training. It's a fairly intensive training program. All of our uh, One of the things we're trying to get better at is is be better managers, including myself. And so every first-line manager, second, all the managers go through a couple times a year like a day-long management training. We want to get better at being better managers. A lot of our employees are young and first-line managers. What else? Those are some of the things we do. Um, One thing we do that's helpful that I thought people would do more for learning, but they don't is after five years, we force everyone to take a sabbatical. and we thought people would go back to school or learn an instrument or something like that, but everyone just wants to go to Bali and sit on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> so we're funding a lot of trips to Bali. We pay, we pay for the for the sabbatical too. That was a good one. Yeah.
1: Someone had something. Yeah, I to guess it's a good follow-up to that because uh, I guess recruitment is something that process-wise is real similar to what it comes to sales and marketing. Yes. And also when it comes to you know, inbound automation technology, a lot of that can be applied to recruitment as well. I agree. So what are your takes on HubSpot's plan on regarding that? Because I remember I was taking part in inbound recruitment training like three to four years ago. And I thought at that point, people thought it's something big that's coming up. It's kind of bumping under still I think.
0: For HubSpot or the industry?
1: Uh, overall, overall. Yeah. Like, like, I haven't seen it that much happening. Even though if you think like the technology is there, the process is pretty similar, there's nothing that would, you know, nothing too difficult in it, but what are your takes and HubSpot's take on when it comes to expanding
0: this recruitment side? Uh We've talked a lot about it. We think it's very analogous, extremely analogous. Uh, we're probably not going to do it mm. uh, just because we think there's so much opportunity in the front office yeah. and helping customers and really creating a complete solution there. If we do it, it'd be down the road. but. The platform itself it, it lends itself quite well to it and the methodology does. I wouldn't be surprised if a smart partner of ours starts someday, uses their APIs, and turns HubSpot CRM into a recruiting platform. Uh, you'll be able to do that. Um, I think in 2019 there'll be enough improvements to it, so if you guys are interested in that, hire some developers and wanna do it, I think there's an opportunity there. In terms of recruiting, I would say HubSpot, we refer to our recruiting as a flywheel as well, not a funnel. Most of our new employees come through word of mouth from employees, so we focus less on the recruiting, more on, gosh, how do we make our employees as happy as they possibly can so they tell their their friends. Um, That's worked well. We do a lot of inbound recruiting. We do tons of content about it. We optimize for Glassdoor. Do you guys use Glassdoor here?
2: I don't think Glassdoor. No, Glassdoor. Okay.
0: There's two. Glassdoor and Comparably are like Yelp for companies. Um, And we we do some outbound too. Uh, We have people on LinkedIn sending messages and stuff. They say it works. I'm skeptical, uh, but they say it works, so there's some people doing that. So we're a mix of inbound and outbound. We also do events like this. We'll have a speaker and panels and stuff like that. Uh, that help a little bit. So it's a mix for us. I would say one of the only advantages of being in Boston versus Silicon Valley is we have great schools and great talent there. And I think similar to Helsinki, people in Boston are more grounded, let's say, than in Silicon Valley, and they're a little bit more loyal. And so they're likely to stay at a company for a long time. Um, and that's served us quite well. Uh, yeah, our recruiting's going really well, particularly on the product side, uh, the R&D recruiting. The good thing about Boston is we're kind of a big fish in a small town. Mm-hmm. It's nice.
2: And pretty much every Boston startup nowadays is founded by some. except few. spot. yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seems to be that yes. <laughs> every possible startup that's popping up. It seems to be, be seems yes. To be, yeah. <laughs> yes. And even funded by some of the. Uh, yes, I funded investors. a bunch of these yeah. guys, yeah. yeah. Any other questions? I know that we are running soon out of time.
0: Uh, could you recommend three books to read? I read a lot of business books. And I look every Sunday I look at the New York Times bestseller list. I, I think it's been a bad era for business books. Um, there aren't a lot of good ones that have come out. And, and I think just the economics don't work very well for business books. And so it's gone down over time, not up. Uh, it's very, very hard to have it tip. Uh, Having said that, I liked the Blitzscaling book by Reid Hoffman. He's the LinkedIn founder. It just came out. It's pretty good. Uh, There's a book called Platform Leadership by a guy from uh, Dartmouth College that I recently read and liked a lot. You know which book I read? It's not a business book, but it sort of is, is the book by the founder of uh, Nike. Um, It's a brilliant book. It reads like a novel, but it's kind of a business book slash novel. In the book by the founder of Patagonia is actually really good too. It's kind of yeah, business yeah. book slash novel. I like those books that read like a novel better or a business book. Most business books, you kind of get the gist in the first chapter, and the rest is bullshit. Quote <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Called> on that. <laughs> there's, two, there's two old ones that we read when we started HubSpot that still work for me. It's one's called uh, Blue Ocean Strategy written by a couple of French professors, that uh, we use that model when we started HubSpot, and every new product line we come out with, we use it. And there's a classic one called uh, The Innovator's Dilemma by a guy named Clay Christensen, a Harvard professor. Those two books kind of combined were the strategy behind launching HubSpot, and they came up with theories that still work today. You know, most books are kind of fats. But the-
1: Thank you, if I can recommend one book. Oh, please. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) One is Powerful from uh, Patsy McCord, Oh, I love
0: her. I love her. I love her. She's on HubSpot's advisory board, so yes. Oh, she is? Yes. We're r- early Patty McCord fans. Love her. Yes. You enjoyed that. That's good to hear. I will tell her that. It's all the way in Helsinki, and people love your book in Helsinki.
2: <laughs> Any other questions?
0: Oh, so
1: maybe you should use this moment to promote my book.
0: Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's called Revenue Growth Platform.
0: Okay. And it's a business
1: book. And
2: it's available in Amazon.
0: Send me, uh, send me a link. Absolutely. Well, check it out. It's hard to write a book, one. It takes a long time. I wrote two books. One of them did quite well, one of them was a complete waste of time. Um, it's so frustrating you write a book and no one reads it. It's just like you, spent, you poured your life into the damn thing and no one reads it.
2: I hope you didn't just tell it, writing The Grateful Dead. No one read it.
0: Was- no, no one read it. You were, you were one of five people that read okay, it. Right. <laughs> Thank you for reading it. I think I made it uh, five cents when you bought the book. Thank you. Uh, but you, you pour your life into it. It's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. And it's the same thing I was talking about products. Like, it used to be really hard to get a book published. There was a handful yeah. of publishers, and they had to bless you to write your book. Now, that dog could get a book published, right? Anybody <laughs> can write. You self-publish, right? It doesn't You'd matter. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and even me. You know, as they, even me. Uh, if I can write a book, anyway, can write a book. Uh, and uh, there's just a gajillion books out there. And uh, Getting above the noise is so hard in Amazon. Uh, in Amazon, Google's got an SEO game. Amazon, we should talk about this, has an SEO game as well. You can game the Amazon algorithm, and there's numbers you can look at and to, to try to get that to uh, improve. Over time, but the book game is a very, very, very tricky game. I'm not sure I'll ever write another book because it is a soul-crushing amount of work, um, and then it's hard to market them. Whew, really hard to market them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the other book I like is a woman named Doris Kearns Goodwin. She's a presidential historian uh, in the United States. A very interesting time to be a presidential historian in the United States. <laughs> uh, and she wrote a book about LinkedIn. She's written lots of books, but she's got a new book about leadership that I read that I really, uh, really enjoyed. It's quite, quite good. It's not about business, but it's about leadership. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, yeah great. Yeah.
2: One more question at yes, least. Sir. HubSpot evolving from marketing platform to sales and service. Uh, what are what are the kind of like future competitors of yours that's going to be there? I, I, like yep. It's different kind of space, you know.
0: I think, well, I think ultimately the competitor is, I think most companies, it'll be like you're an iPhone or an Android person. You'll be a HubSpot or probably a Salesforce person and you'll, you'll, HubSpot will be your hub and you'll use some of our apps, but maybe like, oh, you don't like our service app, you plug in Zendesk there or you plug in uh, Intercom there. Uh, and that will be the hub that will coordinate all your inbound or Salesforce of your hub. That's kind of the way I think the world will go. There's too many marketing apps and sales apps and service apps out there. It's a confusing landscape. People need agencies and people need vendors to make sense of it all and recommend it and organize it all for them. So I think over the long term, it's a platform game, not an app game.
2: Yeah, definitely a platform game. What about Microsoft then?
0: I think Microsoft's sitting on a, uh, on a, on a goldmine because they have Outlook and LinkedIn and Dynamics, but they never figured out how to, like, leverage those things. If they do,
2: yeah, it's a
0: big opportunity. Uh, I don't know about Dynamics, though. It's pretty old technology. Yeah. It's hard to integrate with. I think that needs a big refresh, uh, We'll see. We'll see. I, I, but uh, maybe over the long haul, but in the short term, if you're a new, if you're a startup and you're picking a platform, mm. I don't know if I'm picking, a, I don't know if I'm picking Microsoft.
2: There's a one good Microsoft product. What, what's that? Uh, Xbox.
0: <laughs> Xbox is a good product. <laughs> uh, oh, look's a good product. It's uh, good. Yeah, okay. Uh, I will say Microsoft, yeah. Microsoft, I, I, I'm like a student of marketing, a student of CEOs. The mm. interesting, it's a tricky time to be a CEO these days. Um, Maybe not happening here, but employees these days are really emboldened and empowered and aggressive. And they're not afraid to speak up if they're not happy with what the company's policy is or about anything, really. Like you look at Google, they have crises all over the place around selling to the government, sexual harassment, you name it, there's crises. And they're all the employees fighting back. That's starting to happen everywhere. Uh, And so the role of the CEO has really changed. And if you look at the profile of the CEO, it used to be, uh, well, it used to be one way, but the, the new very successful ones are like the Microsoft CEO's I think doing really well, this guys Satya Nadella, and he's very low key, very yeah. calm guy, he's an engineer by trade. Uh, he doesn't like to be in the press, he's just kinda of doing his thing, focused on customers. The other one that I'm very impressed with is the new Uber CEO, Dara, okay. also an engineer, quiet guy, doesn't want to be in the press, just wants to focus on customers and employees. I think there's a shift in landscape of what the CEO is going to be. I think just like for HubSpot, there's a shift in that relationship between the, the company and the marketplace and the prospects and the customers. And there's, and there's a power, there's a power shift. The power shifted from the vendor to the buyer. Same thing's happening with employees. There's a power shift from the, from the company to employees. Employees are sort of rising up. And so things are changing, and I think, in a very interesting way in that, in that HR space.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, this was super awesome to have you here. It's and uh, just like so many questions and so many ideas running, at least through my head right now.
0: S- send me an email. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one, 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 like email. You actually read emails? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So all the executives in HubSpot have their own email game. I read them all. Yeah, I read them all. But all right, hey, uh,
0: thank you. Thank you.
1: That was Brian Halligan on the evolution of HubSpot, B2B marketing and sales over 12 plus years in SaaS. Now, you can follow Brian on Twitter at B. Halligan. And a big thanks to Gott for hosting the Fireside Chat. You can also follow him at Mikko Seppa. And make sure you give them both a shout out there on Twitter. As ever, if you have any other thoughts or feedback, then you can always reach out to me on Twitter at NordicEdward, on LinkedIn or via email at at advanceb 2 bfi So thank you for listening to the Growth Up podcast brought to you by Advance B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off. And make sure you check out advanceb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth.
0: It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying products different-